At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Get online today. Go to BetRivers.com or download the app. Tim Benz, Mike Pursuta a little early this week. Mike's got an off day coming up. Uh, Mike, you following Michigan State some more or more to the point, are you following Michigan just so you can heckle them in the wake of the Juwan Howard situation? Uh, yeah, I thought I'd uh, chime in on both of those subjects. Uh, Michigan State's really wobbly right now. Here's where they're at. They're coming off a home loss to Illinois in which they think they played better. And <laughs> That's not where Michigan State normally is. No, they usually don't uh, look for the silver lining in losses. Usually a loss is unacceptable. So, I, you know, that's a funny team. I, I was encouraged early in the season, but the, the schedule has gotten tougher and the games have gotten more competitive in the second half of the conference season, as they invariably do. I think college seasons kind of mimic pro seasons that way. And it doesn't look like Sparty has that extra gear right now to, uh, you know, ramp, ramp it up to the increased competition. Uh, Purdue has scuffled a little bit, but I still think that's a top five team in the country. I think Purdue is going to have to really work hard to Purdue itself out of the tournament this year. Not saying it can't happen, but uh, keep an eye on that. And that Michigan team, all I know, Tim, is they were uh, chanting NIT. Oh, that was Juwan the best Howard. part of it. That was After the best he, part of it when the whole thing was going down and Jawan Howard swinging at another coach that the Wisconsin students had the presence of mind to tell Michigan where it should wind up in March Madness. And that's not in March Madness. That's in the NIT. Really impressive that the Wisconsin students were sober enough to chant anything collectively at that point. <laughs> uh, here's the thing, though. Uh, Phil Martelli is on uh, Jawan Howard's staff, and he's an established, experienced NCAA coach. Uh, people might remember him around these parts from his St. Joe's days. Yeah. So I, I don't, I think Howard's a real good coach. I don't know that there's going to be a, a precipitous drop off because he's not there for five games. Might even have a little bit of a unifying factor on that team, which has been up and down all year. And I think has played below uh, its level, according to most people's perceptions. Did you like what Wisconsin did by coming out as strong against the big 10 fine as it did? Came out and said, it's it's not Greg Gard's fine. It's our fine, and we're paying it. They could have summarized their response in two words, I think. <laughs> Save some ink. <laughs> Save some time proofreading the press release. But I did like it. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Big Ten Conference, but I'm not a real big fan of the Big Ten, if you know what I mean. Oh, I know what you mean. I've been that way with uh, a lot of things when it comes to rooting for the NFL, but not exactly being on board with what the NFL does. Yes, uh, certainly. The NHL takes the cake in that regard, right? Everybody likes NHL hockey. Nobody likes the NHL. 
yeah, what Major League Baseball has done to its own game. You usually do pretty well when it comes to baseball, especially this time of year. It's a good time to build up a little nest egg for football. It's a good time to get over some misfortune in the NCAA March Madness tournament, which can be (laughs) very much volatile, as you and I both know. But, you know, if you really study baseball and you take the time to sniff out, you know, who are the bad teams like the Pirates are starting that day versus who they're playing or, you know, the Tigers or you you pick the bad team uh, along the way. We talked about this a lot during a previous gambling podcast that you and I used to do. It's not even so much fun of the good teams and betting on them to win. It's finding the bad teams and betting against them to lose. That's not going to be as easy this year to make up that money. What with spring training being pushed back and, you know, opening day being shoved back because of the labor stoppage? Or are you one that's desperate gambling-wise to get baseball back, Mike? I'm really not. You know, I'm getting tired of Major League Baseball, and I'm, I'm surprised uh, to hear myself say that. You know, as a fan, um, uh, maybe the local club's complete refusal to compete has had some effect on that, but uh, usually I don't care. They need to get their act together. If they're, if a guy like me is wavering that, you know, my dad was a baseball coach. I grew up with a glove in my hand. Uh, my early sports memories are baseball. If I'm wavering, they got a problem. Cause I don't know who the hell else is going to pay any attention to them. But uh, to your earlier point, you had that uh, uh, great insight on that previous gambling podcast. You find those trends, you know, the Rockies wouldn't lose at home and they wouldn't win on the road. Right. The giant, the Giants wouldn't lose division games to the crap teams at the bottom of their division and things of that nature. I like to let baseball play for about a month, let everybody get the uh, enthusiasm out of their system because sometimes the, the bad teams overperform early and you really can't tell in the good Yeah, teams the Pirates are 13 and 12 at the end of yeah. April. Just enough oh, to see you. It. Everybody yells at us in the media for saying they're going to stink because their they're eight fans think they're not going to stink, and then it ends up they stink, but – yeah, let, let everybody get that out of their system. Let the good teams wake up a little bit and then kind of do the math on it. It's every night, and your probabilities are, are, are high in those instances if you find the right trends. Yeah, and you know what? That usually comes to pass, like I said, by the time you get through March Madness, the hockey games and the playoffs are done. Uh, you know, around here, we don't do a lot of NBA talk or NBA gambling, but even, you know, you get beyond the NBA finals, and that's when people can really sink their teeth into baseball. And from a gambling perspective, you know, roughly from when school lets out until the preseason begins and college football begins, you know, baseball can be king for gamblers as well as people who are just casual fans because it's the only thing on. But it's also a moneymaker, I think, for a lot of people in the gambling community. Yeah, especially if you find a nice little parlay, uh, you know, knock those uh, monster odds down and then find one game that is, uh, you know, somewhat up in the air. And if you get on the right side of it, you can just, Slow and steady wins that race, I think, Tim. It's not like betting the Super Bowl. And you're not looking to make it too complicated for baseball either, whereas the Super Bowl, you know, as I did this year, and I was glad I did play a lot of props. How how many bets did you actually have? I think I had eight or nine. I had eight, and I was five and three. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, yeah. Yeah, I made a little, you know, and, and the ones I didn't go big on the ones I lost. Like, the math came out better than five and three sounds because two of them were just kind of for fun, basically take a flyer if Aaron Donald wins the MVP. And just to keep myself interested to the bitter end, I said the last play of the game will not be a kneel down. And if uh, maybe that running back, was it Samaje Ryan pays more attention? He catches that little flip from Joe Burrow. Maybe it's not a kneel down. Maybe it goes to overtime and we're walking off on a field goal, just like I thought, you know? 
Yeah, that was very close. Very close on Aaron Donald, too. Um, I decided not to overthink the Super Bowl, and I don't know if it was stubbornness or I was right all along and circumstances just kind of finally fell in my favor. But uh, I was pretty sure the Bengals weren't going to win that game, and uh, I went money line. Uh, the Bengals were starting to look like your Carmelo Anthony Syracuse orange to me because I remember betting against them every no game of that, of that NCAA <laughs> tournament. That was an expensive spring. My God, you bet against him for the Manhattan game to open even? Uh, maybe not then, but I mean, once, you know, once it got interesting, I was, they're going to lose. They're going to lose. They're going to lose. They're going to lose. Damn it. They won again. Hakeem Warwick blocking it into the sixth row. The, the KC Cincinnati game really bothered me on, on many levels, on a financial level on an emotional level. Uh, I let that one get to me a little bit. Uh, you got to just take the result and move on. Still trying and, to take that one out of the net, are you? Yeah, it just pissed me off. That, that was – I still don't know what happened. I mean, I got some theories, but none of them make any sense. On the topic of trying to take it out of the net, uh, would you play for Hurricanes and Penguins? I know you're in attendance for that one, as was I. Uh, for people out of the under and – had the Penguins, that had to be a bitter double pill to swallow as Sid gets one late to get it over the over. Meanwhile, the Penguins don't have enough that they could gin up to win. Yeah, I had the uh, Canes in that one. Even I, I rethunk it a little bit when I got there and found out their starting goaltender wasn't playing. But uh, I'm not real confident in the Penguins right now against teams that have it together. Um, and they I got a lot that, of those coming up. I, they have a lot of those coming up. I uh, didn't like their game against Toronto. I didn't like their game against Carolina. They had some moments. Um, I asked Mike Sullivan uh, if he thought it was a little too loose lately. And he said, well, I didn't think today was a trade chances game. I disagree with him. I thought it was. And I think if they play that kind of hockey, that is going to be a recipe for playoff failure. And I think uh, that is somewhat in their DNA to play that kind of hockey. And they got to take a lot of steps to try to work themselves out of it. Um, I can envision a scenario this week where they, you know, buckle down against New Jersey Thursday night because, uh, hey, they've played a couple loose games in a row and uh, they're going to be more determined to start coloring inside the lines again. And they'll take care of the uh, w the team that's playing out of its weight class, the Devils. And then they'll think everything's fine again and they'll play the Rangers on uh, Saturday, is it? And Yeah, uh, three o'clock. And uh, they'll lose that one kind of the way they lost to Toronto in the Carolina games. I looked at the game against the Hurricanes, and I saw it being somewhat familiar to a number of other games I've seen recently from the Penguins. And, like, the phrase that comes into my mind now watching them is spurtable. You know, like, they've got that spurt ability, but they're not oppressive like they are when they're at their best. Like, I thought during the early stages of that win streak that they had where or that unbeaten streak, if you want to call that the point streak, where they had, like, 17 in a row, um, I looked at them and I saw a team that was reminiscent to a small degree of what won them the cup in 16 and 17, where they were just shift after shift, oppressively pushing the competition, uh, getting it out of their own end, getting it through the neutral zone, getting it into your end, playing there. That's what they were doing akin to what they did to get to the cup. Uh, what I've seen since they lost a couple in a row there, specifically the four in a row that got them to the all-star break, you know, they won a few games, but we're seeing it in pops. Like, they'll get a good 10 minutes. They'll get a good couple shifts in a row. Uh, they'll draw a penalty. They'll score on the power play. They're not great five-on-five. Five. Uh, the power plays K 
kept them in games or bailed them out of games. Jari's kept them in games or bailed them out of games to at least get a point along the way. It's been more individual and momentary success than it has been, hey, we outplayed you for 40 of 60, which is kind of where I thought they were for, for much of their hot streak about a month and a half, two months ago. Yeah, I would agree with all that. And I would add that, uh, boy, that power play the last couple of games, how many quality scoring chances against have they surrendered with the man? Yeah, advantage? there's that too. Yeah. I mean, it's scary. Toronto had one shorthanded goal, could have had three. Carolina could have had two or three. Uh, they're playing way too loose and easy on the power play. I think the power play, they're feeling so good about the chances they're creating. They're not realizing how many chances they're given in the other direction. Yeah, you shouldn't be trading chances when you have one more skater than the other team either. No. So, um, you know, we'll see. I, it, if I was a Penguins fan and I was listening to this, I wouldn't, you know, be ready to take the bridge or anything because there's a lot of time still between now and the playoffs. And, uh, you know, they have in, in Sullivan's history worked it out where they've played the right way and it's really worked out for them. But I'm not seeing it right now. And I, I don't know, it may take a few more uh, – Tough losses where it could have gone either way, and I love the fight in this team, and we're never out of it, but it was 5-4 Rangers. may take a few more games like that to really drive the point home. And I bet, Mike, to your earlier comment about how you disagree with sort of how Sullivan analyzed that game, if they hadn't, because you know how Sullivan talks to us. He overcompensates on the negative when they're playing well, and a lot of times when they're playing poorly, he tries to not dwell to get us to change the narrative in the public, too. Yeah. Uh, n- not unlike said, a lot of And coaches. then he says something nice about Sidney Crosby because invariably, no matter the score of the game, he'll get a, gee, Sid was really great tonight, wasn't he, kind of question. Right. I want to go back to the old Sullivan who first took over the team when it comes to Crosby and says things like, when Sid decides he wants to play the right way, and he started talking about him publicly like he used to talk about Phil Kessel, I think that got Crosby's attention a little bit. Uh, from time to time, that might be important as well. But um, I think if the, the Penguins had been coming off a game where they beat Toronto 6-1 to one, and they played the kind of game that they played against Carolina, I think Sullivan would have been more on board with your assessment of how the game went, at least publicly. Perhaps. Uh, by the way, it's interesting you brought up Phil Kessel because I think that's where Sullivan kind of changed. He softened a little bit late in Kessel's tenure. Remember, he used to say stuff like, well, Phil was really trying to play defense tonight, yeah. you know, like, or he was working hard to get back to where he was supposed to Phil be. Phil tries never, to play the right game the right way. Yeah, He never said he was good at it or he actually was doing it, but hey, he's trying, you know, like trying to give him a little pat on the back instead of a kick in the ass. But uh, yeah, I just, you know, it, it, it's got to be an incremental thing. I think you don't just flip the switch and I certainly don't expect any hockey team to show up in October and and be full on on their details, disciplined, executing for the length of the season that you have to. I mean, you you, you play for a while and you entertain for a while. And you you get make sure you get enough points so that you don't have to sweat out making the playoffs. And then you hone your game to get ready for the playoffs. So I think they're they've already secured their position. Now they just have to clean up their game. I look at their situation right now and i see them if i'm forecasting the playoffs this could be another first round exit where we're not walking away saying oh well gee they lost to a lesser team you know like i i see this as you know the capitals being the fourth place team in the metro (laughs) you know like there's not a lot of separation between one and four in terms of talent in my eye is there for you 
Uh, Carolina looked really good the other day. Um, uh, the Rangers One against Philly last night too. Yeah. The Rangers have done some really good things. Yeah. That's going to be really interesting. It's, it's a great point. It's not like that first series is going to be a layup. This isn't going to be like, well, they're supposed to beat the Canadians. And then they lose three out of four times and get eliminated in the qualifying round. Or losing to the Islanders who were probably better than any, most people wanted to give them credit for being, but they still shouldn't have lost to the Islanders, except they're the Penguins, and they have a franchise history of losing to the Islanders amid a myriad of circumstances. Exactly. Yeah, and it's uh, gotten frustrating, and at least this year, I don't think they have to worry about the Islanders in the playoffs. How much of the Hurricanes have you watched prior to that game, Mike? And they've always been my choice to win that division. I, I've leaned on them to win the East if we looked at the gambling lines, I've always thought there's more value there because there almost seems to be a gambling race between the two Florida teams. I think part of that has to do with it's just getting beyond each other in the Atlantic, people see it as. Whereas with Carolina, there's a tougher overall Metro division that people are looking at. But they've been my favorite team in the East. I've started to slide back to Tampa. But, man, if it's those two that emerge and play each other in the Eastern Conference Finals, that's going to be something. Yeah, I think they're really good. That's the first time I uh, put eyeballs on them all year, believe it or not. That, that was one of the reasons I wanted to go to that game uh, and watch it from the press box as opposed to from home because I wanted to see the whole ice. Um, really, you, you look at that team, and there's not a lot lacking. And mm -hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't think enough was made of Carolina losing one of its defensemen uh, after just a couple of minutes of uh, his ice time, uh, the guy that took the shot in the face or the head or whatever, and they had to play with 5D for the vast yeah. majority of that game, and they never blinked. Uh, you know, I know the Penguins have done that before as well, but that, that, that was with their backup goalie and a depleted defensive core. wonder what it looks like at full strength. No, it's, that's a good point. Um, I hadn't really considered that too much. I'm trying to remember who that was that got hit. Brian number, something. Number seven. Yeah. Uh, by the way, the Hurricanes minus 250 to win the Metro right now. The Penguins at plus 350. So, boy, the line swung in the wake of that first matchup. The Rangers are at plus 500. We'll talk about them in a second. The Penguins finally get to see them between now and the next time Mike and I talk. As far as the East goes, it's Florida at plus 300, the Lightning at plus 325, then Toronto at plus 450. Boy, they've still got all three Eastern Conference Atlantic Division teams in front of Carolina. Well, I take that back. Carolina at 450. So they're tied with the Maple Leafs right now and the Pens at plus 650, the fifth team on the board in the East. Does that sound just about right to you? Or, see, I just knocked down Toronto because I figured Toronto's going to screw up somewhere along the way. I see no value yeah. in that number right yeah. there with the Maple that's, Leafs. That's been the history since the 60s, right? And I, I think that's a good team. I don't think it's a great team. Uh, it's probably a top 10 team, but maybe no more than that. Uh, those other ones, uh, they all have some really appealing qualities, and I think they could all go a real long way. You think there's some value there with the Capitals at plus 1150? Always, man. You got over. You got a shot, baby. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they're not being talked about enough in the Metro. Yeah. I mean, they're only. They were so hot there for a while, and now they've really cooled off. But that they have the look. You know, I guess the Penguins could be considered a little bit uh, in the same vein as well that the, you know they know they're in the playoffs they've been there before uh, they'll get there but they're not there yet they're only five points behind the penguins for second place so that's something that has to be kept in mind the rangers who will see three o'clock on saturday 
I kind of look at that game the same way, Mike, that I did the Hurricanes. You know, these teams have been hanging around each other without really playing one another a lot, and now they finally get to do some of that. It's sort of like, um, you know, they didn't get the Ravens. The Steelers didn't get the Ravens this year until December. Then they got them twice before the end of the year. The Steelers are in the same boat right now with the Metro Division and how the schedule has shaken out insofar as, you know, they haven't played the Rangers yet either, and the Rangers are only point behind them in the standings. And uh, that's the Penguins have had some matchup advantages with the Rangers over the year. One of them was Lundquist didn't scare anybody on the pens. I bet uh, the guy they have now does. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't even say that necessarily about Lundquist in the, I got to point that out in the regular season, the playoffs, he seemed to have something over him until they blew him up in 2016 and route to the Stanley cup and chased him a couple times, but like Sidney Crosby had more career goals against Henrik, Henrik Lundquist than anybody else. Uh, they just couldn't put together in the playoffs and lost him in back-to-back years. Um, you're high. Are you high in their chances because of the goalie? Well, because of a lot of things, but he's one of them. Certainly sure. Um, and that's, you know, the Penguins have gotten great play out of Tristan Jari, but is he really decidedly better than the rest of these teams? The goaltenders they have no. And, and that's why you don't want to trade the chances, right? Because now you're, you're, you're making it a goaltending battle and you, and you might not necessarily win that. And I'm not saying that because I doubt Tristan Jari. I just, a lot of the good teams have good goaltending. That's why you want to, you know, play in there. And you were talking uh, a little while ago about how the Penguins, uh, when they're, at their best, when it looks like they're playing their game, they're playing in the other team's end. And that helps them kind of mask their defensive deficiencies in there. And I don't, I don't know if a lot of teams in the NHL are good half-court defense teams. I know the Penguins are not one of them. Strategy-wise, do you find yourself playing much hockey in between the weekends and March Madness, or do you use that to recuperate a little bit? No, I'd, you know, I'd throw a little parlay together here and there. Uh, look uh-huh. for a trend or a streak. Uh, the numbers are a little crazy. Like St. Louis is at Philly tonight. I'm looking at the Bet Rivers app and Philly on back to back after playing overtime. By the way, yes, and, and riding and losing another, in losing, overtime, riding another losing streak. I think it's five or six games. Blues are minus two twenty five. So uh, maybe uh, pair that with something and uh, put the odds a little bit more in your favor. Kind of count on that one, and then oh, I don't know, maybe. Iowa losing or beating Michigan State at home tonight on the hardwood or Pitt losing another basketball game. Boy, this is going to be a good one uh, across conferences. Nashville and Florida over under in that one is seven. Florida, a goal and a half favorite. As I mentioned before, Mike, they are the favorite in the East right now. I don't see it that way. I still go Carolina or Tampa. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. And um, I'm starting to lean Carolina. Because of what you saw the other day. That first line is something else. Well, that and the profound advantage the Hurricanes have behind the bench. Rod what Brindamore. What do you mean, Mike? Is Brindamore that great a coach? Yes, yes. Man, because he went to Michigan State University. <laughs> he only went for one year, but he played one year, and then it was off to the show. That's enough of pixie dust, green and white pixie dust to have sprinkled on your head from East Lansing to be a success uh, for the rest of your life? Uh, we're not going to put anybody in the NHL again anytime soon. Better ride the horses that are there. What got me distracted was you had brought up Pitt, and I was looking up their line. They're only four-point dogs at home against Miami. Yeah. That's an 8 o'clock start at the Pete. 
Uh, do we like Pitt in the way that they're playing that no, much? And I no, don't think so. They got no, 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 no. What happened no. against Georgia Tech sort of slowed them down. I watched Georgia yeah. Tech against Syracuse, and boy, they they struggle making some easy shots. There are plenty of opportunities for Georgia Tech to beat Syracuse last night, and they didn't. So uh, I might, I'm not all that uncomfortable putting a little money on Miami to cover a four point line there. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm with you. I think, uh, boy, we we should have seen this coming. The uh, Hasn't been the best of years for our uh, region in terms of college no. basketball participation. <laughs> West Virginia refuses to make a move. Uh, Duquesne can't win a conference game. Uh, Robert Morris lost a couple games ago to IUPUI. 2-22 and 22, IUPUI. Yeah, and O for the Horizon League. The worst uh, team in college basketball, according to the rankings. They were, was it 385? They were 385 yeah. out of 385. Lost by 10 at home. Wish we'd have known this back in November. Uh, Davidson, by the way, playing Duquesne on Wednesday. You might want to keep an eye on that one. Davidson might be going to the tournament. Now, I don't know if you were paying much attention. They actually did cover the Dukes did when they went on the road to play Davidson. They only lost by 11 to a Davidson team that is now, I think, 22 and four. But the spread was 13 and a half. So covering is covering. Uh, the Dukes have not done a lot of that. They've had a lot of double-digit losses, and they're not averaging over, I think it's something like 59 points per game in the A-10. So even if you see a good team playing against Duquesne, they're not necessarily going to drag that line to the over of over-under. Uh, the Dukes can suppress that line pretty well themselves when it comes to offensive inefficiency. <laughs> yeah. You'd rather suppress that with defensive excellence. Right. But, you know, yes. There hasn't been a lot of that either, unfortunately. If it's offensive inefficiency, work with that too, under players. All right. When we come back, we'll talk a little Steelers. What Kevin Colbert had to say, we will discuss that. And uh, this is one of Mike's favorite days in history. We'll describe why when we come back. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience rush pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go-ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, back on the Pittsburgh CityCast, we have to mention here we are taping up on Tuesday afternoon. It is one of Mike's favorite days of the year, February the 22nd, now the 42nd anniversary of the miracle on ice. Team USA beats Russia. Mike, were you gambling at the time? And if so, what was the goal total? What was the spread on Team USA versus Russia? Do you remember? No, all I was doing at the time was, uh, you know, the old man used to come home from work and he used to have these little cards. And it had the NFL games on them and some college games. And you had to, you had to pick X amount. Like you could try three out of three or five mm -hmm. out of five or 10 out of 10. If you went for 10 and you got nine of them, you got something, but not the big prize, but the other ones you had to hit exactly. And we used to play those all the time. Uh, that was my introduction to gambling, but uh, no, I wasn't betting the U S plus, uh, well, what do you think they'd have been about plus three seventy five, four hundred against <laughs> against the big red machine? It would have been more than that. Probably even more than that. Might have been more than that. 
one of those where the Russians were such favorites. But then again, all the money is going to come in on America for America, right? At least back then, anyway, that would have been the case. Might have tamped it down a little bit. But, you know, I'm glad we're talking about that because this is February 22nd is, you know, beat Russia day. And then the 24th is win the gold medal day. Um, they call that the miracle on ice. And I get it because that's how Al Michaels uh, punctuated the final call. But uh, history showed us that that was not a miracle. That was an upset. But that was a way better U.S. team than it was given credit for being at the start of the tournament. Uh, I think hockey was still kind of in its infancy in the U.S. I mean, it, it only expanded. The NHL had only expanded to uh, 12 teams 13 years later. Now, they had added a couple since then. But uh, you, some of the guys on that team played a lot of games in the NHL. And uh, I think if we knew that at the time, we would view it differently. It's not like they all of a sudden got a whole lot better after the Olympics. I mean, they just hadn't had a chance to to prove their worth yet. But it was, you know, the right bunch of guys in the right place with the right coach and the Russians being a little fat and satisfied and, you know, world dominant for so long. But, uh, you know, Mike Ramsey and Ken Morrow in particular played, what about a combined uh, – 2,500, 3,000 games. Well, in the yeah, league. I think that's part of it in the sense that, you know, the two guys that were most known coming off the team or the three guys that were most known coming off the team, one of them was the coach, and the other two were Ruzioni and Craig, and Craig and Ruzioni were never big NHL players. You know, they, they didn't play that much in the NHL. The other players who were kind of just seen as guys in red, white, and blue um, had better careers, longer careers. Who was the highest scoring NHL? Was it? Johnson? Uh, I think it was Neil Broughton. Broughton. Oh, Broughton. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's funny. These anniversaries have come up every so often. And I actually researched this a few years ago. I was looking for my notes before we did this, but I couldn't find them. But I I went back and charted how many guys played in the NHL and how many games they played and what they accomplished. And I bounced that off of Craig Patrick because uh, we were talking to him for some reason. Ruzioni was in town or something was going on with the Penguins and Team USA and and, and there was a, a media opportunity. And I, I bounced that theory off uh, of Craig Patrick. Like, hey, you guys were way better than people gave you credit for being. And he said, absolutely right. Like, they, they, they knew they were good. And, uh, you know, the miracle angle is romantic. Uh, it was an upset. It wasn't a miracle. But I'll take it. I don't care if we'd have been, you know, prohibitive favorites beating Russia. I got a frame picture on my wall of T.J. Oshie beating Bobrovsky, Oshie and Soshi. You know, from a game that really didn't mean anything, but it was the red, white, and blue against a big red machine, and our guy kept scoring goals against their guy. So that was a big, big one for me as well. Well, I kind of look at it a little bit differently insofar as I think the miracle, even if you looked at this upon further review, I think everything is in context, right? I mean, nobody knew who any of the guys were in the U.S. College hockey wasn't very popular in the U.S. at the time. Still no, isn't. Was- it was an after it was, it was a non entity other than exactly. in, Minnes- in Minnesota, Michigan and Boston. I mean, I think I saw a thing in this year's Olympics. There were four States represented. If I'm remembering this correctly on the 1980 Olympic team, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Michigan. And yeah. And uh, there were 13 States represented on this year's U S team, which had 15 guys that are active college hockey players this season. I mean, 
there's back when you and I were doing the Robert Morris games, you run into a guy from California playing more often than not for somebody's team. I mean, the, the game has really grown since 1980 because of 1980. But before but, that, it was yeah. just, it was like bobsledding to a lot of people. I mean, oh, they're playing hockey. Like, you know, what's that? Blissful ignorance of how good the Americans may have been combined with the Russians being viewed as the 2007 Patriots on ice, you know, like that's kind of the image that we have. Like we all knew that the giants were good, but we didn't know that they were good enough to beat the Patriots because the Patriots singularly made that upset what it was, how good they were. They looked unbeatable. The Russians looked unbeatable. That was also part of it. Yeah. It was also just to get back to the, the point about where the game was at that time. I, I grew up in Philadelphia. That's where I, you know, was born and raised and the flyers had won a couple of cups in the mid seventies. So Philly was a quote unquote hockey town, but back then, and even I would argue today, the flyers had their pocket of people that really liked them, but pale in comparison to the people that support the Phillies and the 76ers and the Eagles. And just in terms of raw numbers. Well, we are going to the Frozen Four. Speaking of college hockey, you and I will be in Boston. The flights, we've got our got hotel. our tickets. We're good to go. Ready for the Frozen Four, TD North Garden. Throw about and four jerseys in the, in the carry-on bag, and uh, away we go. Are you, we'll be doing some gambling in college hockey. It's, it's tough to find college hockey lines unless you get to the Frozen Four, right? Uh, you get them in the NCAA tournament. In the tournament, okay. The, 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 the regional weekend. Uh, maybe the conference tournaments, I think. Uh, it, it used to be just the NCAA, the round of 16, and then the Frozen Four. I think I think now they include the conference tournaments. Okay. And All right. I'm finding myself, I'm probably going to be in that uh, rather uncomfortable position that gambling could put you in. Uh, the University of Michigan is my uh, mortal enemy, but uh, having seen some of their guys play in college this year and then watching a couple of them in the Olympics, wow. And he's got a couple <laughs> of their guys that made the jump from – college to the nhl too yeah uh pretty good team um you're not gonna bail on me like you did to motorhead that one time are you if you just if you see michigan in the frozen Four. no no i am not okay i, I, right. I, I will go the, the story tim is referencing is back in <laughs> 1996 my buddy kevin roar who i used to go to the frozen four with all the time uh it was in cincinnati and I got this horrible feeling, you know, like, I guess it would be akin to people dreaming that they're going to die or something. I just got this horrible feeling watching the regionals that Michigan was going to win the hockey tournament. So I told Motorhead, I'm not coming. He was coming from Arizona. I was supposed to meet him in Cincinnati. I said, F it. I'm not going. I'm not going to go watch them win. And they did. But I have, I have seen them in the frozen four a couple of times since then. And thank God they did not win. Uh huh. But, uh, so, so if, if you're planning on betting college hockey once the postseason gets here, that will be a team to keep an eye on because the skill level is, oh, my God. St. Cloud is the team that we've seen twice. That kid, Brisson, uh was 29th pick overall. He drafted way too low. Matty Berniers, uh, Owen Power, I think he was playing for Canada. They got a, they got a pretty stacked deck up there in Ann Arbor. Mike, what do we think of what Kevin Colbert had to say for the Steelers before we go? Uh, typical Kevin, uh, a, a lot to chew on, but, uh, nothing really declarative. What really uh, resonated with me was it was a tacit kind of, uh, rubber stamping of Mason Rudolph as the first guy in line, but nobody 
and when I say nobody, I mean Mike Tomlin or Art Rooney the second hadn't even gone that far yet. Mm-hmm. So uh, well, I, I think they're going to go quarterback shopping, but I think they have a price in mind that they want to pay a, as opposed to a desperate need to get one. So we'll see what they come up with uh, either in veteran free agency or the draft or both. Uh, and the other thing was uh, him talking about maybe it was time for him professionally to step down. And he, uh, my follow-up question about has the organization gotten stale, he disputed that. But uh, the answer before I thought was pretty revealing about how I encourage our scouts, you know, our younger scouts to keep me current. And we we're, we got to work hard to stay ahead of the game. I don't think they've done that. And uh, I think they're coming to the realization that they haven't done that. I think that's one of the reasons why Brian Flores gets hired. Uh, a, it's a, it's a no-lose hire. I mean, it, somebody had to coach a damn linebackers slap a senior defensive assistant tag on that as well. And you can take advantage of a guy who's used to be a head coach in the league, used to be a defensive coordinator in the league, did well as both. Um, If he stays two seasons, then you can cash in on draft picks when he gets his next promotion. If that's ever coming, Uh, it's a little. Wait, if he stays two seasons, I thought, does that matter? What if he's. What if he's just hired away after this season? They don't get draft pick compensation? I don't think, that, I don't think they get compensated. I think, yeah, I think you have to stay two years. Oh, I didn't know that was the loophole. All right. I'm not, I'm not sure of that, but uh, if I remember the Rooney rule adjustment, I think that was last, last fall they did that. Yeah, uh, I think uh, it's supposed to be two compensatory third-round picks, right? Yeah, but you, you get a shot to cash in. Now, I don't know. Who knows uh, where that lawsuit's going and, and what his NFL future's going to be. But right now it looks like they got an overqualified guy from the outside who has done things differently than the way they do them. And why not uh, get a little conversation going, get a little defensive symposium going between Tomlin and Austin and Flores and see what you can cook up uh, in terms of how to attack it. Cause the Steelers, to me, the stale part, I, I think they've done fine in regular seasons, given the circumstances that they've dealt with from year to year, but their playoff records abysmal by their standards. The question that I would have back to that then is if Kevin is relying on the scouts and his staff to keep him current and they're not, does that speak to the need to then go outside of the organization to get fresh eyeballs in as the GM? In other words, like if he's thinking it's time for him to step down professionally. Did um, he not address that as well? He said maybe the answer's outside, right? He was intentionally keeping every door open and not steering the Rooney's decision to one direction or the other based on what he said. But, you know, they've interviewed 10 guys. Yeah. You know, and only two of them are people from within the organization. And I think if if nothing else, Mike, that's trying to pick the brains of people who have come through the system and interview. Sure. Sure. But I, I think after he made that comment, I think it's more likely that an outside guy gets hired. Now, does that make an outside guy the favorite? That I don't know. But I thought a lot of these interviews, initially at least, it was either window dressing, fulfilling requirements, or just trying to pick brains and see what you could pick up from the Colts organization or, you know, the Packers organization or, you know, wherever the, the person was coming from that you were bringing in. But uh, I don't know now. I, I, there's a lot uh, that I'm perceiving about the Steelers to be curious and I think that's kind of a good thing. So I, I, maybe we don't know the direction they're going to go in all correct. the time when it comes to the draft or when it comes to free agency. Yeah. And does that mean you're, you know, you're really going to be committed to a mobile quarterback instead of just talking about it for the last six months? Are they really going to go get one of those guys? 
are they really going to spend when they have the excess? Uh, it was funny to me that he used that phrase, excess cap. No, it's not excess yeah. cap room. It's cap room. Yeah. To you, it might feel like excess, but it's not excess. Yeah. It's actual cap room, and it could be a you lot more. You don't more. get to put that in a bank and use it eight years from now when you need a new car. You know, you got to spend it. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on there, and good, you know, shake it up a little bit. A uh, little bit less uh, comfort of expectation. Is that a way to phrase it? Uh, and uh, start trying trying some different stuff. Uh, the quarterback thing is fascinating to me still, and is going to be. Uh, we'll start seeing that play out. We'll, we'll get more hints which way they're going when veteran free agency occurs. But uh, I don't know. These guys coming up are a different kind of breed, I think. Um, the the emphasis on mobility and the the ability to make plays with your legs is so prominent now in college football. Uh, you almost got to work not to get one of those guys, don't you? Did you? Uh, one of, not yeah. not the guys not the guys that are up well, for the draft this year, but that type of player if you're looking to the college game. I've said this to you. I've said this to Matt Williamson. I think the quarterback position has gotten almost hybrid to the point that they're tough to differentiate from guy to guy. You know, I, I think there are shorter and taller versions of the same guy. Like Kenny Pickett's a taller version of uh, Sam Howell. You know, Malik Willis might be more of an outlier because he's much more of a runner than a thrower at this point. But and, yeah. and Desmond Ritter's even taller than the than Howell and Pickett. But it's just. But he's real slight. Uh, looks like a receiver. But um, everybody is throwing on the move. Everybody is moving the pocket, and there's reason for that. It's because defenses up front are so dominant these days against yeah. offensive line. You can't trust a true pocket to be there, and it's part of what sunk Ben Roethlisberger. It wasn't just him being old. It was the fact that his offensive line couldn't hold up long enough for the pocket to move for him to get outside of it. If only you could get one of those guys in a situation where you had a real good running back and a real good tight end and an improving offensive line and a coordinator that like play action bootlegs and misdirection and think <laughs> what if, huh? What if, if that kind of environment existed anywhere, one of these guys would probably be a really good fit. Don't you think? What'd you make of his comments about to it before we go here? Cause I, uh, why are we still talking about it? You, you don't know by now. That's I mean, well, that's where I was going. All I could take from it was we haven't decided to keep him yet. As opposed to, we haven't decided to cut him yet. If we don't know by now, then we know, you know, I mean, we've been asking these two questions since training camp last year and, Oh, don't know. I hope so. Maybe possibly we'll see. I, God bless him and his family, and uh, I'm I'm so shattered for him for what he's gone through. But they, if they still don't know that he's going to play, then they know he's not going to play. To me, and if they're not seeing him, if he's, I mean, you notice how often my people start comments about to it with, "Well, we've been in touch." Well, that connotes to me for a while they weren't in touch. Yeah, that's a good point by you. You know, yeah. like, if, if that's the best you can say, then for a while you weren't in touch enough. And we all knew he was around at the facility for a while in, like, September, maybe even up until early October, and then we didn't see him very much at all. So yeah. I don't I mean, know if that – He had the tragedy, then he had a knee injury, and then, okay, I mean, it's – both of those things are well in the past now, and they're still – they're not – there's no declarative – oh, Stefan's coming back, or, you know. One way or another, they need to restructure him or they need to release him. You know, for that, there's, yeah. there's $13.9 million in cap space being eaten up by him. 
Um, what is he now behind Watt, the second or third most? Maybe Cam's in front of him, and he'll get a restructure too. But I think for now, he's like the second or third most expensive guy in the payroll. And you should probably, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, decide that before uh, free agency in mid-March because, uh, hey, Bengals did okay uh, going out and buying some defensive linemen. Uh, they mm-hmm. had a deficiency. They had some money to spend. They solved it. If you don't want to go that way, did you get a look at the Georgia Bulldogs last fall? It's uh, <laughs> a couple of guys in that front interior that would would fit in nicely. Uh, yeah. If you don't want, if you don't want to go quarterback, maybe you want to go there. I'm I'm way off offensive line in terms of what I think the Steelers should do. Um, I, I think they have the makings of what can be a competitive offensive line in place already. You got to tweak it a little bit, but I wouldn't do it on the first round. Your dogs, by the way, plus 500 to win the uh, NCAA football championship, Mike, behind Alabama at plus 150 and Ohio State at plus 250. Then Clemson at plus one, plus 1,400. Yeah, sounds about right. There's yes. your final. There's <laughs> You'll your see final those four, final right? four each and every yeah. year. I wish hey, the NCAA I- basketball tournament was that easy. We could make money there, too. I'll tell you what, though. I, I just started going back. I was. I didn't like the rematch at the time for the national championship game. And I don't know. I was experiencing a lot of fan type stuff. uh, as that played out the way it did again? But I just last week, I went back and watched a little bit of the national championship game. I have it on tape because I'm getting into my player evaluations for the draft. And yeah, my God, the talent that was on that field, something else, wasn't it? I just, I've watched about a quarter and a half of it again already, but I mean, it's just, Wow. (laughs) <laughs> that's really good stuff. I mean, I'd rather watch that than Cincinnati. Sorry, Cincinnati. <laughs> I, it pops off the screen, you know, months later. All right, Mike. Well, remember that when it comes to draft betting evaluation time. Oh, too, yeah. About a, yeah. About what a month or do. so. And the combine is going to happen. There won't be a boycott. That news rolled around so we can see everybody in their underwear running the 40. We can see the punters run the 40. We can measure Kenny Pickett's hands. Number of guys from the SEC take the over. That's always the go-to, right? That's the go-to bet. Find what the line is. Do a little quick check and see if you see one way or the other that's overslid. And I don't it usually isn't. Uh, you can usually come right down to one pick or two in that first round, correct? You know, I actually really like these. I, I've only gotten into it very recently. But here's the thing about the draft. We all kind of know who the first rounders are by the time the draft rolls around, right? It's yeah. the mocks. It's getting them in the right spot that's the hard part. Sure. Almost the, almost the impossible spot. But you got a much better shot at figuring out the 32 guys who are going to be picked than the order in which they're going to be selected. Plenty more on that to come over the next couple of weeks. Frozen Four, NCAA tournaments. Got plenty of Penguins to talk about as well. Mike and I will recap Carl, what happens this week. clears it up for Silk. Five seconds <laughs> remaining. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Hopefully you had over six and a half in that one. That's all I got to say. <laughs> This is the Pittsburgh CityCast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.